and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, CEO of SpiderWorks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. With me today are Chris McCarty, Christine Reeves, Cam Barrett, and Shreya Nalamatu, here to talk to us about Quit Clicking Kids, an advocacy and education site to combat the monetization of children on social media. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to Say Hi to the Future. And we're here today talking about Quit Clicking Kids. Now, Chris, let me, let me start with you because I know that you're the sort of driving face um, in front of this or, or uh, about this. And let me just read something and, and then you can maybe use that to just let the listeners and viewers understand a little bit more about what Quit Clicking Kids is all about. So you're centered around the idea that when influencers use their kids for the majority of their content, the kids are the ones generating interest and revenue for that account and deserve to be compensated. And you also say these children also deserve the right to privacy, something that they've been cruelly denied once they're continuously featured on public social media accounts. So, Chris, I think I'm, I'm understanding this from, from two different perspectives. One, the revenue generation and, and non-revenue sharing, but also there's obviously a, you know, a measure of, of safety and security. And as, as a, <laughs> as a bit like my kids are 25 to 30 now, but um, when they started getting on social media, I was just like hovering, you know, can't put your last name, can't put your town, can't put your high school. Um, you know, it just gave them another reason to hate me when they're older. It's all good. So Chris, tell me, am I on the right track? Tell me about quick clicking kids and, and, and what it's all about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, there's a two-pronged approach in both Washington and the Illinois legislation that focuses on kids as producers of media. And the, the first prong is about that lack of financial compensation, because when parents are consistently featuring their kids on a for-profit channel, their kids are often like used as the thumbnail of the video, as the clickbait. They're what's bringing the viewers in. Um, and in doing so, they're getting eyes on like sponsorship deals and ads, and they're adding to the overall viewership of a channel. So the first, the first prong of that legislation is, okay, these kids are bringing in views and in in many cases, that's bringing in revenue for the parents. So let's make sure these kids are compensated for the value that they're adding to the channel. The second aspect is, like you said, you know, a lot of parents nowadays, now that we know more about um, social media and sort of its it's positive and negative effects, right? A lot of parents are teaching their kids to be good digital stewards, right? Don't share your full name, don't share your birthday, don't share your address, just like you mentioned. But the parents of these for-profit family vlogs oftentimes are reversing that and they're sharing their parent, they're sharing their kids' full names, they're sharing like where they're going to school. So all of this personal information is then being shared out to a wide viewership and monetized. And that's really what Quickly and Kids aims to prevent in the future. So Chris, just a quick follow on. I mean, I mean this very positively, but w w why you? I mean, this is such, this is a global issue. 
And you, and I believe you're just finishing up your first year in university, you're the one who's picked up the torch and and worked so tirelessly to address it. So what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate that um, my parents didn't share me on social media in that way. They were very conscientious about, um, you know, online presence and... I really want that to be afforded to other kids. I want them to have that safe space growing up, the ability to grow and learn and make mistakes and to have that all free from the public eye and not to sort of be forced into a job, right? Where they need to perform for their, for their parents, for the channel, for millions of strangers viewing. And so that, I think that that desire for other kids to have a a safe childhood is what's driving me to do this. Well, well, thank you for that. And um, look, in that charge, Christina Reeves, you are a member of the Washington State House of Representatives. How did you meet Chris and and become involved in this initiative? Well, um, Ken, as you know, uh, Chris is a force of nature. And without their leadership, you know, we wouldn't be here. Um, I had the good fortune of uh, Chris reaching out to me as a a newly reelected member to the legislature. I'm a mom of two kids myself. And uh, a former state representative uh, had introduced this legislation last year, um, but had introduced it very, very late in in the cycle. And so unfortunately had not gotten a hearing or any kind of um, media attention to the conversation. And uh, to Chris, you know, Chris's persistence came back and said, well, who can I go to this next year and invite them to join me in this um, kind of in this fight to protect our kids? And so former Representative Wicks uh, recommended that she reach out to me and we got connected and um it was a really easy yes for me uh you know as a kid of the 80s um obviously dealing with a lot of kind of abducted children but i didn't grow up in a social media area my social media presence didn't come online until college um but i have two kids of my own and so when chris started kind of articulating the problem that we were trying to solve here it was an easy yes to say absolutely both from a we should not be forcing children into labor that is not compensated. And, and two, that as adults, these kids have a right to privacy. They have the opportunity, you know, should have the opportunity and the protections afforded to them to decide how their brand, their presence, their um, existence in, in our world uh, is replicated online. And so um, was really excited to get the opportunity to partner with Chris in this work. So, Christine, how does this, how does government take a position here? What can it do? Because you're, there's, sort of broaching um, parenting and and social rights. And and I'm sure there's just a little bit of discussion out there about government's role in this. Absolutely. Um, But I do think there is a role for government, particularly as a force for good in this conversation. We have child labor laws in this country, uh, you know, around the world for a reason. The only question that we really have to answer here is whether or not this new form of employment um, falls within the confines of child labor. And if it does, how do we regulate that for the children's protection um, and its enforcement? That's the debate that we're currently having in our system is, you know, does this currently meet child labor laws. If it doesn't, do we need to update those child labor laws to now take into account uh, social media uh, employment? And then I think, you know, we regulate corporations, data privacy, you know, uh, those things on a, on a regular basis. In fact, Washington just passed a, a pretty comprehensive health data privacy law this past session. So I absolutely think the answer is yes, we have a role to play. 
And it's just a question of finding the balance between how best to regulate while ensuring that parents have the right to parent their children the way that they choose. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's, I think that's a, a wonderful point, too, about we do have child labor laws. And yes, I mean, look, everything changes, whether it's as a parent or as, as an owner of a business, our world changes so quickly. And whether it's legislation, regulation, common sense within our organizations and how we run them or how we parent. I mean, we're just running to keep up. So, yes, I, I, I'm very thankful or very grateful that you've you stepped into the government, stepped into this. Um, so thank you for that. And Cam, um, what is Sherenting? Um, You know, Sherenting, there's a lot of different variants of sharenting a lot of parents you know they will overshare like kind of what chris was talking about they will share a lot of personal details about where their kids go to school their child's day-to-day routine um just kind of like constantly having a camera on their child and then there's other aspects of it where parents are like if they have a medically ill child they will just kind of post everything about medical history of their child you know what procedures they're going through what medications they take um their nightly routines of how they take their medications and it's very invasive um it just is you know oversharing your kid and giving the internet complete access to your child um when they shouldn't have access to that child in that sort of sense Wow. You know, you know, I mean, it just, again, my, my kids have sort of grown through that stage where I have any say because they're all fully grown adults. But um, I just, again, I remember back to, to my parenting days. And I also remember um, giving a lecture at the University of Toronto about social media. This is probably 10, 15 years ago, at least. And um, if it's out there, it's out there and you can't retract it. So it's it's a little scary to me what, what you're talking about with sharing things. So how did how did you get drawn to uh, quick clicking kids? So I first started talking about sharenting and I guess my opinions about it on my social media account on TikTok. Um, my experiences with my life in sharenting, my mom, I guess, kind of sharented in a sense. She didn't do it like with videos, but it was more so of blogging like on Facebook. So I have the personal experience and I know what it feels like to be in that situation um so i guess i started just kind of like making videos and advocating in that sense because i saw a lot of people saying that it wasn't that big of an issue um and so i guess i just wanted to share my experience um and through that uh one of my mutuals that chris is also you know mutuals with um she introduced me to chris um and i testified for the house bill that chris introduced and everything and yeah, that's how I kind of got started here. Well, that's that's really admirable. And I, and, and I you know, as, as challenging as your story or background might be, the fact that you have taken that and you bring it out in a way of good and, and helping others, I just, um, that's incredible. So th- thank yeah, you. I really appreciate thank you that. It's playing that role. Uh, Shrias, are you been so quiet because I haven't talked to you yet? <laughs> Please um, tell us about you and tell us about why parents um, need to understand about this concept. Yeah, so I first got involved with um, this issue as an independent study um, through my school where I chose the idea of family blogging and child influencers to study because it was really odd to me um, 
Similar to Chris, my parents didn't really share a whole lot of my childhood online, which I'm very grateful for because there's a lot of embarrassing stuff that my peers do not need to see. Um, But it introduced me to the idea of informed consent, which I feel like is the basis for both the Illinois bill and the Washington bill. So informed consent is kind of in this aspect, the idea of the child agreeing to be on camera, um, but more importantly, knowing what that means. So knowing what a million viewers looks like, knowing what a thousand dollar sponsorship is, knowing that like we were talking about that everything online is permanent and they can't erase what they've done on camera. And I think that's especially important for all parents to teach their kids, but especially family bloggers to understand this because family blogging is a livelihood, but these kids are born into it. They don't get to choose that lifestyle. And so until they're old enough to kind of understand the consequences of what happens when they're featured in these vlogs, they should be afforded the privilege to say no, which is kind of um, the idea behind like pursuing these bills. So, so as you talk about this, and, and I'll, I'll open this up, Shreya, maybe you have the answer, maybe it's a shared answer. Um, we've heard about individuals, we've heard about government. What role do, do schools have in, in I'm not going to say monitoring, but educating um, children that, that this doesn't have to be this way? So I guess I can kind of speak to this because in high school and middle school, when we first got like our little Chromebooks and we started making email accounts and um, getting on social media, my our school gave us a lot of talks on being a good digital citizen, not cyberbullying, um, of course, not posting your information like your address, your age, your pictures online. Um, and I really hope that more schools across the country can do that because Schools are one of the best ways, of course, to reach children and their parents. So if we can educate everyone on this, we can prevent this kind of exploitation from happening. And and Christine, is there a way that um, government can help uh, support that cause with with students? I think the short answer is yes. I mean, much like we fund financial literacy programs, much like we um, encourage, you know, comprehensive consent education in, in public schools, um, we we absolutely can utilize that path. I think, uh, you know, what's really unique about the work that Chris has brought forward is, it you know, I think, what is the role of these social media platforms, quite frankly, um, to do some of that work as well and making sure that they are monitoring uh, these systems to ensure that um, these kids have a safe place, an accountability metric. Um, and that's, I think, where I'm more interested instead of asking our educators who are already overwhelmed uh, with right. so much in a post-COVID recovery um, with learning loss and other things to do one more thing. I'm actually really interested in holding corporations accountable who are profiting off of these kids to ensure that that they're educated consumers uh, and users about the protections that we need to put in place for our kids. And, and, and Cam, I see you nodding up and down. What would you like to add to that? I agree with Christine 100%. I feel as though, you know, it really comes down to social media platforms taking accountability and being responsible for the content that their algorithms push out to people. Um, because, you know, statistically, these platforms will push out content that features kids 30% more than content that doesn't feature kids because they know content that does have kids in it, whoever's viewing it, it's going to get more views, whether it's from regular people, from predators, et cetera. 
And so, you know, I really believe that social media platforms need to stick to their rule of, hey, you can't be on our platform until you're 13. And I feel as though that needs to extend to these family channels because it's not fair that these kids are getting exploited for views for the family and views for the social media platform as well. Thanks. And, and Chris, you want to um, pick up on that because now I see you nodding. You see, it's very dangerous to nod. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I wanted to add, I think Cam and um, Christine Reeves are absolutely right. I think it's so interesting that there's regulations about like when you can start your own channel on YouTube, right, at 13, but there's no regulations about when you can be featured in something. And I think we really need to shift so far, like so much legislation, so much advocacy is around kids only as consumers of online content, but that there's this whole other world of children who are producing online content and producing it on a regular basis. And that's where we need to have legislation. We need to have it on both sides. It's just that right now, the only or most of the existing legislation is on the consumer side. Ken, if I can jump in, I mean, I think what's really fascinating in this dialogue and, and Chris actually made a really good point in a conversation a couple months ago that this generation is the first generation to live their entire life in the eye of social media. And so if that's what's creating some barriers to regulation in the market, it's because this generation is just kind of entering the consumer market in a way that corporations and others haven't seen before. And so um, you know, I, I think about my eight-year-old daughter who consumes YouTube channels. And one day I walked into, I was in the kitchen making something to eat. And I hear her down the hall in the bathroom. And literally she's standing in front of the mirror. I didn't know this, that I'm standing in front of the mirror going, you know, she's got my makeup brush in hand and she's apparently doing a makeup tutorial because that's something that people do on YouTube. And she's like, click and like to subscribe, right? So when we talk about who to hold accountable in this, these kids are passive recipients. And I just spoke at a high school last week where half of the kids in the class described for me their career path as becoming professional influencers. So when we think about this as a, as a place of work, when we think about this as an industry, when we think about this as a place to regulate, Chris is spot on that we are behind, quite frankly, in, in government regulation. We are behind in meeting the needs and the protections of these kids moving forward. And we've got to move faster and farther um, than we can possibly imagine to make sure that the next generation of kids uh, is equally protected in this process. So, Christine, when you're, when you're saying that, when you're describing what you saw, I mean, I, I think there's one thing I know is that if kids want to find a workaround, they will find a workaround. Um, is there some absolute parent lock or, or something that, you know, I think that's for, tough. Yeah. yeah, that's so tough, Ken. I mean, my daughter is, I want to say, um, my husband calls her a mini me, but you know, she's ingenious in, yes, she has her own kids profile on, on both social media and streaming applications. She's not allowed to be on Facebook or Twitter or any of that because she's too young, but she will find a workaround. And the fact that our kids these days, I didn't grow up with computers. We, we learned on typewriters. I know I sound very old right now, but 
we weren't introduced to the concept of computers until fourth or fifth grade, right? And we sure in the heck didn't have them in our homes. Well, today, my my daughter started kindergarten on a Chromebook because of the pandemic. And they were taught very quickly how to utilize Zoom, how to utilize, um, you know, online streaming platforms, YouTube, other things so that they could get to the classwork. But to your point, how do we ensure that that's locked down enough so mm-hmm. that they are only accessing the material that they're supposed to be accessing. And I'll tell you, it's tough. As a parent, I have parental controls. I have family sharing. I have all of these provisions. And I think I'm a pretty attentive parent. Um, I then think about all of the kids whose parents are working two jobs who maybe don't have yeah. time to really think about these processes. So to Chris's point, it's not just about kids as consumers. But to my daughter's example, it's about kids becoming producers, influencers at the age of right. eight, nine, 10 years old, and not understanding the potential security risks, the the danger that they're putting themselves in, to Cam's point, where it's not just innocent bystanders watching this material, it's also people looking um, for malicious intent and to do harm. So we've got a lot of work to do. I don't have an answer for you on what the exact, you know, kind of silver bullet is, yeah. but... I know that it's work that we've got to do. And until folks like Chris come forward in every state and, and encourage legislators to be held accountable to this standard, to do this work, to push for these regulations, we're not going to create a safety net that really works for our kids right. by holding the corporations accountable. No, thank you for that. And, and Sheree, when you listen to, to Christine speaking about this, and there's no silver bullet, so there's no absolute answer. I mean, one yeah, I, I think that that's pretty true about everything in life. You know, we're always saying, what is that one answer? I'm like, well, wrong question. There isn't one. Get over it. Um, so there's that balance, Shreya. There is also, and as I said it, you know, and Christine said it too, you're an attentive parent. I, I really thought I was an attentive parent, but just like my parents found out things about me and, you know, when I hit 30, I'm finding out things too. Um, kids will work around what they want to work around. But Shreya, where do we where do we start? What do we do to really impress the dangers to somebody who might be 8, 10, 12, 14 and, and just shouldn't be? That's a really good question. And I feel like it would vary between kid to kid. But this was already mentioned before, but definitely holding the social media like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok accountable, because when we were um, trying to legislate this issue, one of the big issues that kept cropping up was they just were filing like opposition and they really didn't want to have any part in the bill. And obviously that's because if they did have part in the bill, they'd have to take accountability and responsibility and like actively try and make sure children are safe on their platform. And right now we're just not seeing that kind of initiative from um, these corporations. And we really do need to be seeing that because in the future, if all of this activity is happening on their platform, there's only so much an external force like a school or a parent can do. If the child is, you know, making an account on an iPad and then like exiting the tab when their parent comes into the room, this needs to be... Um, this regulation needs to be going on in the platform where it's happening. Right. No, understood. And that's, again, you've already, yeah, you've just hit it again, that there's no silver bullet, silver bullet that we, we have to need. We need to look at this from so many different angles um, today. And, and yes, um, I, I do think that from, you know, an organizational perspective, there's, there's responsibility just as there are from parents and, 
and from government. And, and usually that's the only way that things mostly work. And, and I just say mostly because, again, there's a reality factor to if you if you want to find a way, you, you, you tend to be able to. But um, on that line of thinking, um, Chris, what are some of the successes that, that you've seen? What, what are some of the, the major step forwards that you, you brought about? Yeah, well, I first really just want to quickly jump on Shreya's point. And um, that is, and sort of everyone's point, just about the no silver bullet. I think that the pieces of legislation in Washington and Illinois, they may not be the perfect solution, right? Like this is such a new area. This is such a new industry. I think that they're both good pieces of legislation. I think that they should become law. But it might be that, you know, a couple years down the road, we find out that there's a whole new way uh, that parents are sharing their kids online or there's something that didn't come up the first times that we talked about these pieces of legislation. So I think they're I think they're worthwhile. I think they're important, but, you know, they might not be the, the end of the road. But I think that we can we can find that. And just because we're not at perfect right now doesn't mean that we can't find it later. And I don't think we should let the perfect get in the way of the good. Well, I just wanted to jump in and say that, um, like, I wanted to talk off of what Chris just said. Um, just because, like, we don't know the solution right now, like, I don't feel as though we shouldn't try to start to find that solution because we shouldn't let more kids of this generation slip through the cracks. Because, I mean, even now, you know, there's so many stories where people have posted their kids on social media and people predators have like gone to their houses or they've like, you know, done very dangerous things. And I just believe that we as a society need to come together and think about what's important. And that's literally protecting our future generation. Thank you, Cam. Um, that was uh, beautifully said. And, and on that, I mean, the time has really gone quickly. Um, you know, again, with, with the panel, and, and we are coming to, to the end of our time together on Say Hi to the Future today. Uh, so, Chris, I want to leave with one um, question for you. I mean, what's your ask? What, what, what do you want to put out there? What, what would really help this cause, your cause, the, the cause of, you know, protecting our children um, that you would like to see or happen? I'd like to see something federal passed. Probably it would look like an amendment to the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is, you know, federal regulations on labor with special provisions for child labor. So to see an extension of what falls under child labor, according to the Fair Labor Standards Act, I think is a really great place to start. I think one of the biggest challenges is getting that interest and attention at the federal level, because right now so much legislation is um, reactive, right? We see these problems and there's a lot of documentation of problems, right? If you think about like climate change or homelessness or um, things along those lines, right? We are, we're already seeing the effects of those and it's almost a scramble to get legislation in place that can react to that. And this legislation, because it's such a new industry, because a lot of these children are too young to really speak out and share their stories about what's happening, this legislation requires legislators to be proactive. If there's a problem, let's see if we can address it before we really need to address it, right? So to see something federal, I think, would be wonderful. It's just a challenge of getting us there. 
but I think that could really help, especially with um, family run accounts that are like travel vlogs where they travel between states, right? That's very tricky to legislate unless, you know, we go state by state and get every state to implement something like that with a clause for going across state lines. So I think something federal would really be the, the ultimate solution here. Chris, thank you for that. Um, thank you for being you. Thank you for having the, uh, the passion, for the audacity to go out and, and not just believe that you can make a change, but make uh, a change, bring about it. And thank you to Christine and Cam and Shreya for, for joining and for joining the cause and for joining Say Hi to the Future today. And um, it's been a pleasure speaking about Quit Clicking Kids. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thanks, thank you. If you enjoy this episode and you want to support our show, leave us a review and join our mailing list by visiting www.spider.works. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R.works and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for listening and see you all next Friday.